Fancy Zoom. Yo, I hate the new Zoom, man, because you can't sneak and record no more. They let the whole, everybody know. Because everybody's getting in trouble, yeah. Everybody's starting to get in trouble, that's why. Oh, okay. People are losing their jobs. They're like, all right, are we, are we, are we live? <laughs> all right, here we go. It's a time right. capsule of Von Michael. How do we get to this man who we are today? All, all right, right, folks, welcome back to this podcast. It's called One Man, One Tree in the Hill. It's about being alone for your own thoughts, and when we don't do that, it's a time council of the most amazing people we meet on the planet. This guest is a stand-up comic. He's a writer. He's an actor and a director. Mr. Von Michael, how are you, sir? I am great. Thank you for having me on, man. It's a blessing. <laughs> uh, uh, you what? Where, where do you hail from? Uh, right now, I'm based out of Washington, D.C. But you're not from Virginia, right? No, I'm originally from Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, born and raised um, Chester, Virginia, and then um, I've been living in D.C. for like the last three or four years. So let's go back to the beginning. Where where were you born? Just born there? Virginia. Yeah, I was. Yeah, born there. I was um, grew up, went to high school. You know, I had a um, crackhead mama. Um, my dad left for um, for a pack of cigarettes, never came back. And, back, um, back that up. So what's what's your earliest? Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm I'm lying. I'm lying. I'm about to say, <laughs> I he went straight Tyler Perry season three. Ray, <laughs> <laughs> I know I can be changed, Tyler Perry. <laughs> I'm trying to sell some tickets. <laughs> sell some tickets. <laughs> what uh? No. What are you from? A, a big family or a small family? Um, from a. Uh, Family, two two younger brothers. Both my mom and dad. We we all live together. Family of five. So you um so you're the oldest, the oldest sibling. What's the difference between you and your brothers? Um, I was born ninety two. Next brother ninety five to ninety six. So you really don't have any memories of just you being alone with your family. Most of your times are with, you guys are all relatively close in age. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever feel the responsibility of being that older sibling? Man, oh, it's, man, I was a terrible older brother. I, I ain't gonna lie to you. I was terrible. I was selfish. And um, I didn't realize um, I was supposed to be the older brother. Well, y'all grew up in age. Y'all kind of close together, though. You know, so y'all really yeah. grew up as, like, brothers and friends. Yeah, we were more like friends. And um, I would say then I was, like, an older brother. But, like, now it's, it's so weird because it's, like, now I'm like older brother, but like my my, my middle brother, um, that's one ninety five, I be kind of learning things from him. Like I be had to get past my ego because like he um he made it to the Olympics for track and field, oh, wow. and so like he, he what you say? He just made it. He was in the Tokyo. Um, was it Beijing? Rio, 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 and um he was in that. So like it's so crazy because I be talking to him about stuff I'm going through. And like he like our fields are so like um alike. Like he'd be like, oh, like he'd be telling walking me through stuff to get through, like, oh, you dealing with this uh, agent. Like he had an agent at the age of 20, you know what I'm saying? So it's like he's helping me like get through stuff, relationships, how to distinguish what type of people to be around and stuff like that. So it's like, damn, he like my almost like my little brother's my older brother. Well, millennials, it's a whole it's a whole com- combustion of millennials. We all learn from each other. Yeah. What uh what about mom and dad? Strict household? Because Virginia's a unique unique state cuz some people are from this. Y'all not southern southern but parts of Virginia are some southern people. 
Yeah, we Southern. Uh, I got whoopings. Um, got whoopings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody get whooping. But I mean, like most of the people from Virginia, they come from like the Louisiana, that pipeline. Uh, My, you know, like, um, people are like leaving Virginia or coming to Virginia. So most people from Virginia that's been there for a while. Yeah, like my grandmother, like my mom's side, they were from North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And my dad was like from like Southern Virginia. And, uh, you know, like my grandparents, they like on a farm down in like Southern Virginia. So it's like, it was pretty country. Um, my parents, you know, they they went to, they met at Virginia Tech. My dad played football and uh, they got married, dropped out of college and then had me. Oh, they got married then dropped. Yeah. V-Tech, shout out to Vic. So, so what was so mom and dad super strict or were they growing up? What type of what type of like growing up inside there? How how was it? Super strict, super like I if I wanted to go out, you know, like I had to get permission and stuff like that. You know, very protective. You leave the house, call me every thirty minutes, and it's like, fam, you sit right beside me, like stuff like that, <laughs> like and like um. So they were just kind of like overprotective because like we had, um, we went through this phase where like we grew, I grew up like, like almost elementary school. We grew up in a black neighborhood, low income, kind of like the hood. And then we moved to the suburbs um, when I went to like middle school and high school. And then like they, they were like really nervous about it because it's like an all white culture. But like Virginia, you still got white people who have like Confederate flags. Mm-hmm. So like they felt unsafe. So they was always very overprotective about that. Well, let's go back to elementary school. So you're five years old. Your brother is two. You're the oldest. And what's it like? What's your early remembrance of school? Do you remember your first friend? Do you remember your first teacher? Yeah, I remember um, I had a teacher named Miss Payne. And um, my first friend was my Keisha. Um, I think she was gay, gay black girl. She was cool. And um, it was a good time. I had fun growing up, man. I have No, I had fun. At the, in the black neighborhood. When I lived in the black neighborhood, school was fun. I had people that I could relate to. Like it, it was all good vibes. How long were you in the in the, the black the black neighborhood for? Um, probably all the way up until about sixth grade. So, so elementary school, kindergarten, everybody was there. Was mm-hmm. uh, what was schooling like? Um, school. Looking back at it now. It was terrible. In the moment, it it was cool. Like, and I even realized that like <laughs> black schools, they treat you like crap. Like these textbooks falling apart. Like <laughs> school lunches. Like you look at your school and somebody ate out of it. Like, like it, is, <laughs> it, it is terrible. <laughs> and so it was a good experience because like culturally, we all like. I feel like, especially as black people, we get, we find a way through struggle and we laugh at it. So like, even though I was going through that, you know, we still like, it was at a point, like, I mean, I remember walking to school sometimes and you see like people, dead bodies on the ground, like, you know, people, mm-hmm. cause like Richmond at one point was like top 10 murder capital. No, actually the number one murder capital in the whole country mm-hmm. um, based off of how big it was. And yeah, the number of murders, like it was, it was really bad. And um, so, like, it was just like a lot of balance going on around there and stuff like that. So it was, it was, yeah, it was a lot of trauma. Did you uh, so growing up within like being? Did you walk to school? Did y'all catch a bus? What was your we daily walked. trip to school? Oh, I, I lived a block around from the school. Um, name of my school was J. E. B. Stewart, a Confederate soldier, 
And um, um yeah, um, it's called Obama now. But um three sixty. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a block away. I remember I had a girl, she lived beside me, used to just walk straight to school, and then my mom come when I got off and came and walked us back to school. What did what did mom and dad do when they when you were coming up? Um my mom was always like a paralegal. She was a paralegal. Um, my dad did between like truck driving and working in the prison and jail, like as a um, mm -hmm. security guard. So as you go, so working class, working class coming up. So were your friends from the neighborhood or were you meeting more friends in school? Or everybody at the neighborhood you knew at the school. So it wasn't really shocking to meet people. Yeah, like everybody in the neighborhood was at the school. So we were kind of like, that was, yeah, pretty much my friends. What's uh, what's grandma like? Do you visit grandma on the farm? Do you guys visit grandma? Do you have any of those intimate talks with grandma and stuff like that? Um, so I got one grandma that lives in Richmond. The other grandma lives in um down in Southern Virginia on the farm. She um she's cool. I go down there like she every time I go down there, she always you know make bringing me nuts off the tree, trying to give me vegetables to take home and eat. You know she they they starting to get old too, so it's like I need to actually go down there more. Um, my other grandma that lives in Richmond, I, I won't go visit her um, because um, last time I went there, she had mice and like, I, like her whole house was just full of mice and I'm afraid of mice, yo. And like, I'm like, grandma, <laughs> she be like, come over, I'm like, you got me be at the porch. Like, I am not coming in your house. <laughs> I don't know how you lived in New York then. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I, I hated it. He said, I hated it. <laughs> So, all right, so as you're doing that, you meet your first friends and stuff like that. So who were the friends? Like, who was that crew that you hung out inside your neighborhood? Because everybody has that those those friends that stick a lifetime. Who were those people that you first met growing up from your kindergarten years to your fifth grade before you leave the neighborhood? My friends were Keisha and my friends were Dominique Porter. Those were, like, my closest friend. Dominique, he was, like, an artist. He always drew. We, we related on, like, Dragon Ball Z together mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And then my Keisha, she was like my friend. Like we just hung out. She had good vibes. So all three, of you guys walk to school every day. Um, no, like um, Dominique, he got driven to school. So we, when we get to school, we we'll meet up with him. My Keisha, um, same thing. She would um just meet up at school. They lived a little bit further away. Mm -hmm. So was school hard for you? Easy? What was school like? Elementary school? Do you remember? just school being easy some people just find school easier some people remember school being tough what was your earliest remembrance of like elementary school i was um i'm the type of person that um i would always it's weird i was bored in school i was i would always like uh, put like um you know at school like beginning of the year they put you on this advanced this placement test to see what kind of classes you're gonna take yeah and I would always get in advanced class, but I'd be like borderline about to fail these advanced class. Cause like, um, I hated being around the, the quote unquote smart kids. Cause they were just like, I dealt with a lot of like um, social pressure. Like I, I, I didn't want to become known as a nerd and stuff like that. So I didn't apply myself like I should have um, when I was growing up. Did school come easy to you though? Yeah, it was easy. Um, yeah, it, it was easy. You were so, yeah, super smart. It came easy. That's what it sounds like when you like. You sound like you were just bored. Yeah, it was boring. Yeah, I didn't apply myself, but it was easy. When you read a passage, do you get all the information as soon as you read it for the first time? 
Um, maybe not the first time, but uh, maybe like the two or three times. The comprehension part was the one that you excelled. Yeah. So what's what walk us through your mom and dad telling you, all right, Vaughn, we're moving out. Mm-hmm. What's that like? Were you shocked, nervous? Um, my first thought is like, why are we moving to the white neighborhood? Like, <laughs> like. But how they preface it? Like, do they when they told you, like, all right, we got a good opportunity? My parents are bougie. I'm bougie too. So like, <laughs> um, my parents was like, we moving out the ghetto. <laughs> for a better life. It was like, it was like nobody around. They was just pretty much like, keep, they was keeping it real. They was like, look, kids from this neighborhood, you know, really only like this certain amount of potential where you're going to get get at um and it's like like this neighborhood you got a better chance to getting out and, and doing something with your life and so that they, they presented like that and just like you're gonna move we're gonna move to this neighborhood isn't it crazy the harder you work the different colors you start getting around yeah man you notice that even in comedy it's, it's like um yeah <laughs> you start to see it where people are just like <clears throat> And just people have a saying like, oh, you live in a white neighborhood. Because I think they, they used to say that to me. Like, I didn't think I lived in a white neighborhood until my grandmother took me around. I said, oh, yeah, we do live a little different. Okay. <laughs> get it now. But it's sometimes as black people, we give each other a hard time. We call it punching up and punching down. We punch down our success around other people, but punch up our sex, success around other people. Yeah. Like, I ain't got yeah. it, bro. I don't even got it. No, I don't, yeah, I don't got nothing. <laughs> You got a million dollar house over here. Nah, you ain't even gonna see him. Yeah, man. I don't know if you experienced it, but like, it's that's a tough phase to go through. Like, when you move to that neighborhood, because it's like, it's it's a you change culturally. Like, you don't. I didn't want to, but it's just gonna happen. Because whatever environment you are, like, you move to New York, you're going you're going to pick up some habits of the people that you're around. Give me an example of something that changed with you. Were you wearing Sperry's? I'm just kidding. I definitely, definitely was Sperry's. I'm not oh, you were out you. I was ashy. Like, I was doing everything white people did. Shit, I was ashy. <laughs> well, like, give me, give me, give me the, so you get in the neighborhood, they pack up the moving truck. What's that like? Um. Yeah, packed up that up. There was like, you know, start school in two weeks. I was playing football, you know, and uh, we're going to start football before school starts. Um, so we moved in and, you know, I started going to football practice. As we're Back doing that up that. a little bit, though, because football is different. So you had to tell your old team, like, I'm done. Yeah. Done, moving. And what's so weird is some of my friends actually moved to the same school I did. Like, their parents went through the same phase, like, better opportunities we move into this district so really what was it shocking shocking because you technically had somebody there with you that you knew right yeah but um but it was like it got weird man like it's like i saw my you start to see your friends start to change more like culturally you'd be like yo we don't act like this you know what I'm saying? like it is just like <laughs> we don't act like this. Like, one of my, because you, because it's that thing you go through, like, when you want acceptance and you want to fit in, and, you know, and some people do it more than others, you know, you might start speaking like the people you're around, you know, people say talking white, but you're literally just, uh, um, you, you get, you start to talk like the culture that you're around. 
or you start assimilating. Yeah. You switch it. You could code switch in different places. Like Caribbean people, they switch it when they get around other Caribbeans. Mm-hmm. What would you say was the most shocking thing going into it, like an all-white school now? Um, you realize that um, white people aren't better than us as people. They're, they go through the same struggles. Like I've seen people on there with drug addicts too, same emotions. Like literally the neighborhood, they just got better opportunities. Like, But as people, they're no different <laughs> than us. A lot of times, honestly, just like, Black, I started to realize black people, we are amazing. And like, I'm not saying because I'm just black, but like, especially like sports and like, um, you know, the arts and, you know, arts and stuff like that. We're literally just better at certain things and just naturally talented, I would say. Sometimes I say this all the time, black people, especially black Americans, we're the smallest group of black people, but with the loudest voice. Yeah. So like everybody, whatever country you are, you gonna know a black person, a black American person because of, you know we're in a we're in a we're in a first world country, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So as you get there, who was your first like white friend that you made? Who was that? My first white. friend. I told friend. you like take that Vaseline off. You don't need it anymore. <laughs> My first white friend name was um Ben Saunders. He was a cool dude. He's actually a cop now. Um. What was it, what about Ben that stood out to you? Ben, um, he's he's always himself. He doesn't change. He was a we played football together. He was about the grind. He wasn't materialistic. He was just a good person. You know, what I'm saying like you could tell he had like a core beliefs. You know, and just he stood by that. He didn't care what other people were thinking. So, do you notice how sports bring more cultures together? More cultures together than anything. Yeah, that's what we gotta like. Yeah. When you're forced to be amongst each other, sometimes you're like, look, I don't, you know, even if you're racist, he's a good, it's a good tailback, you know? <laughs> <clears throat> so you, you meet your first friend, you meet your first white friend. What's it like going to their houses? Do you do like, like, did you, are your parents like, we don't do sleepovers? Because it's different when you're going around like, you know, middle class people. They're like, oh, we're staying at Jed's house today. Uh, we don't went to each other's houses, but we would like hang out at. Um, we used to go to the YMCA all together, all the time, and like play basketball and, and hang out there, um, and stuff like that. But we never, um, my parents never really wanted anybody in our house. <laughs> we got so. a really nice house in the. <laughs> Nobody came, like family. Y'all know cookouts, anything or family came, but he didn't want none of like friends at the house. It was kind of like, yeah, it was very like, y'all could play outside. They come in front of the house. We had a basketball court, shoot hoops and stuff, but not in the house. Don't come in this house. <laughs> <laughs> what um, so how does how does school the dynamic of school change for you though? Because you're going into middle school, do you find same thing? School comes easy to you. Um, or that's school that pressure yeah. again though, because now you're a black kid in a white school, so now the pressure is probably completely different. I, um, school was cool. I had to apply myself a little bit more. I actually had to study and like, and actually get through grades. Things kind of switched because it was like, I started to realize, oh, you know, I want to like actually pass. Like the fear of like failing was like, oh, I want to, I don't want to be held back. So it's like, um, it, it was easier. We had better books. The teachers were better. It was, it was just like a better environment um, overall. How did the teachers treat you? 
Were there any black they teachers were... there? Black teachers there, or was it? It was one black teacher, and I didn't like him. He was um, hard on you. Yeah, he was hard, and um, and he played for UVA too. He played football for UVA, so <laughs> that's that's what threw it off. Yeah, I used to call there every day, say Virginia Tech. I ain't know it bothered him until he he failed me. Like, <laughs> what did he say? What did he say? He was just like, your dad played at V Tech. Like, I would just say you. I would just go in there every day, just be like you, um, Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech, because he always had UVA stuff. I'm like Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech. And like he told my mom at the parent teacher conference that he was mad because I always went there and talked about some Virginia Tech. Like he was re- really mad about he was it. Mad. <laughs> I remember when Michael Vick played at Virginia Tech, and my dad was at East Carolina. He was at East Carolina uh, when he was uh, he was working at East Carolina, and mm-hmm. it was during halftime. And everybody was like, "Hey, go get Vick! Hey, go get Vick!" <laughs> and I'm like, "No, no, no, nigga, not you. Get out! No, Vick, Vick, go get Vick. Vick, what's up, Vick? What's up, million dollar man? He was a star, man. Everybody had the V Tech outfits, they had the V Tech um, sweatshirts and stuff like that." Mm-hmm. And what's the dude's? I forgot the coach's name. Beamer. Beamer. Beamer ball. Yeah, about like every, the special teams. Yeah, I mean everybody had V Tech gear. Mm-hmm. On that burgundy and white or burgundy and something. Yeah. Yeah, Tech man, Michael Vick is something else, man. Like I don't care, no one say. Like literally, I feel like he was the best athlete that I've ever seen. Just natural athlete. Like I remember playing with him in Madden, and like it was nothing you could do to stop this dude. <laughs> It's, sometimes it's it's frustrating seeing what they did to him. Yeah, man. Like, cause like it's weird, man. Like, I, I'm I'm pretty sure you. I don't know. You you may go through this feeling, but like, the more you advance in comedy, and more we get to like that next phase, that next level of like notoriety and stuff, and like you can see yourself getting closer to fame. You can start to see it, like things that you saw on TV in the past, and how easy certain things could happen to you. Um, just by dealing like you have certain people in your circle and they doing stuff, they're a representation of you. So like if they're doing something at your place, you you the blame person. Like it's I mean that's it's what so I've been telling. I, I'm I'm like that with all the southern comics up here. I'm just like, Y'all gotta kill. Y'all gotta do well. Y'all gotta y'all gotta do it because this scene only lets somebody in and once you get in, you gotta stay in, you know? I was like, We're mm-hmm. trying to make it, we're trying to get on. I was like, it's strength in numbers. If everybody's funny, they'll just let everybody in. Right. Well, I sometimes I think that with, we're going to go back to your life. So as you get inside your, your teacher, sometimes I think black people can be hard on each other. Did you feel like it was more than the Virginia Tech stuff, or you think he was just hard because you were uh, making fun of the school? Um, I think it was just that dude was a um, little bougie, um, honestly. I think it was a little bougie, went to UVA, and it was just like a certain, like, he just had a certain type. He was hard on everybody. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of like, he was just kind of a dick, honestly. <laughs> like, <laughs> did, no, did you, brother, so when you're in middle school, right, this is when, like, hormones start happening and stuff like that. Who's the one that has that talk with you? Does your dad have that talk? It's like, hey, you're going through some things. I need you to, does he have that talk with you yet, or is that more like towards high school? Because I remember. Well, the birds like, and the bee? Yeah, because I remember in high in elementary school they would separate the boys and the girls and make you watch a video. Yeah. Now Jimmy, um, like, hey, look at this. I'm like, what are we watching right now? My dad told me when I was in third grade one day when he was drunk, like he just. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, whoa. 
And that was yeah, I was in elementary school when he gave me that that spell. So sixth grade, uh, the work comes easy to you. Um, what's it like when you leave middle school? Is it is Virginia the type of place where you know where you're going to high school or you get to pick your own high school? You know where you're going to go. It's based upon where you're living at. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I knew where I was going. Um, I was I was excited. Um, it's a good school, solid school. They had a good football program. Um, so I was excited to be a part of that. What position were you playing? Uh, I played fullback and linebacker. Oh, so you was cracking heads. Yeah. And getting my head cracked. I, I definitely... <laughs> How was um how was how was like when you go to the new school, what's that team like? What was you guys' record in middle school? Uh oh. Can you hear me? You're there, yeah. Uh-huh. I see you. Yeah. Okay. What was your what was your what was your what was your record like in uh middle school? Okay, cool. Yeah, I can see team? Um, middle school, we, um, we sucked. We sucked, man. Like it was, that's another thing, man. Like, and this is the frustration you see that now too. Like I went to a black school, right. But we were like, you know, and this is not a representation of all black school, but the neighborhood I was in low to low income stuff like that, it was unorganized, Mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, the coach come, you know, come to practice drunk. So it's like stuff like that. Like you can't really expect (laughs) You can't expect to be good, you know what I'm saying? Like, like stuff like that. So it's like, um, we it it was very just kind of like you know put this your son in very like you know I can't even think of the word now, but like favoritism. Mm-hmm. It, it it wasn't structured at all. Like that's the thing I appreciate with going to the white school. However, even the white school is more structured. You still got to deal with that racism. What type of racism were you dealing with? I mean. You know, like I want to, like I was living, like I said, like the American flag. So yeah, you, it's like still like that good boy, boy culture. Okay. Coach, you know, wanted like have, you know, it was the, like that good old, good old boy culture. You know, like they wanted, you know, a certain of white, white people out there. Um, they don't want too many black people out there and stuff like that. So. Um, just kind of that, like if somebody was white, that you'd be like, "What?" It's kind of like comedy. You'd be like, "Damn, like this dude is average," and you know he getting a spot, and he got this black dude who's great. Why? Why he not getting more? Mm. You know other stuff. What does your dad tell you? Does your dad talk to you about like, hey? Um, he my, honestly, like he, are y'all football people? Did you because your dad played right? Yeah, I only played because of my dad. I didn't really want to play football. I only played because of him. Um, and he was just kind of like, you just got to grind, and it is what it is. Like, I mean, what can you do? Mm-hmm. So we're going through football. We get ready for high school. Is high school, because you graduated in 90, you graduated in 2009, right? 10, 10. 2010. So mm-hmm. this is when... Virginia was really that. That's when the cl- clips were big in like 2002, 2004. How did, that influence, how did that influence Virginia when that grinding beat hit? 
that was that influenced a lot like that was our music the clips and um who was it pharrell and all them they kind of changed the way we had missy elliott like we had like our own virginia was virginia had its own that they had a whole good seven year run yeah yeah it was it was it was like one of the first time it was like yo we had our own thing because it's like usually like people always talk about like dc or north carolina the carolina something like that it was like for the first time because virginia is weird like because i feel like virginia doesn't have its own style it kind of imitate other people's stuff um and make sure the north and make sure the south but it was like the first time it was like whoa we got our own thing you always heard that song 24 7. I remember people at the lunch table. Anybody, everybody started rapping on that beat. Grinding. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic, man. That is a cla- all-time classic. Um, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> what was it like when your brother started going to the same school as you? Did you feel a sense of, oh, like, let me take care of my brother, or you are just happy he was there? Man, I was a shitty brother, bro. Um... I was like, yeah, he played sports. Um, He played football at first, but he went and started just focusing straight on track. Mm -hmm. He realized he was good at that. Um, Me and my brother really that much when he was in school. Like, I had like over kids, you know, at the high school. So it's like, I never really saw him so much. And we never really hung out and stuff like that. Um, we saw each other at home. Yeah, it was it was weird. And what about the baby brother? How far apart are you guys? He he was like when I was in high school. He was in middle school. We were never in the same school together. Mm-hmm. Um, but he um he ended up like being the water boy for my football team. So I used to see him at football practice all the time. Um, so that's we kind of hung out there. Did all of y'all play football because of your dad, or y'all eventually just start falling in love with it differently? Nah, because my dad, like, he was like, you got to play football, live in this house. Like, that shit was a requirement. <laughs> you ain't got to play rent, but you got to play football. <laughs> what position was he in when he was in, in college? He played linebacker and nose guard uh, for Virginia Tech. Oh, so he was already ready cracking. He was rewarding y'all to crack them skulls. Yeah, let me give you a like, backstory. My dad, my dad went to um, Fourth Union Military School high school so like he had already like that structured life mm-hmm. and so he like really wanted to apply that to our life growing up were y'all it seemed like you guys are all structured or were i think it's it's different because your dad was raising millennials and we were big on gaming how would he treat y'all gaming would he like discipline like Dude. give me the game give me the playstation <laughs> yeah Nintendo the PlayStation. 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 Give me the um, give me your phone. Take the phone away. <laughs> yeah, like sometimes, like I feel like he would just try to act like he was taking it really because he just couldn't afford to pay the bill. Mm-hmm. Like I remember one time he took my phone. I tried to call. It was disconnected. I was like, dude, I, I, <laughs> I was like, I didn't see what you're doing here. Flip this right close. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that was that was definitely big. Like he, and my, like they were cool about us playing the game. They bought us the video game. You know, my pops was all about like you you go work out, go get in shape, and then you can play Xbox all day after you take care of that. Like my dad, he cared about football more than school. 
You know, like I could get 10 tackles right in the football game and I had got all else in my poor car. He don't care. Like I did great at football. Do you think he was living through you guys a little bit? Absolutely. It was, it was, that was like a struggle, man. Cause it was like, you know, and I didn't even realize it at first. I used to take it personal, but it was just like, you know, cause he, he, when he quit playing college football, he got, he had regrets to get married. Um, well, he, he was like, damn. Get married? Yeah. Mm. Like, I think, you know, my dad was kind of like, man, if I didn't get married, have kids, I could have went professionally. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I wanted y'all to do what I did, but it's like, I didn't, I didn't want to do that. Like, it was just like, football too much, man. I wanted to play basketball, but he's like, nah, you play football. You you built, play football. Did you ever sit Have you ever had these discussions with your dad, like as a man now? Nah. What's, <laughs> nah, stopping, what's stopping you from doing that? Because I feel like now you're going <laughs> to respect you as a man. You guys are two men sitting down. Um, I don't know. It's just, I, I, I'm just not in the place mentally for it yet. I know I eventually will have to. Um, he was, um, cause my parents, they live in Seattle now and he was actually out here last week in DC and we had lunch and uh, it was weird. Cause he was like, yo, he was like, man, I'm so proud of you doing what you're doing. You're making money, doing comedy, you're grinding. It was just so weird. Cause like, he always was just like the football guy, but like now he sees the vision on what I'm doing. Yeah, I think you gotta have that conversation with your dad. I feel like there's a lot to unpack there to ask him, like why, why couldn't he do both? You know. Yeah. Married and play football. Yeah, man. Cause like I ain't lied to you, that affected me. Like I've been date. I still haven't really dated because of the fear of thinking that a relationship would mess up comedy. Your parents are still together, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's I. That's why I was a center thing. I was like, he got married. He quit football to get married. Usually, most of them players in the in the college already married, already playing football, and got a whole family in high in college. Yeah, facts. Like, Who's this? Oh, this is my two kids. I'm like, really? <laughs> in the dorm. <laughs> I really think he'll talk to you like that since he's a man. I think sometimes I think of his dads as we get older. I'm not a dad, but I like now I can talk to my dad as a man. He has a different respect level. Mm-hmm. to ask him, like, how did you feel when I did this? He goes, I'm in the military, and y'all embarrassing me. Of course I was. Oh, no wonder why. I get it. I would have beat me, too. That was a good point. <laughs> but I didn't know until I had to ask him. And sometimes I didn't tell my dad, like, you had a hard time raising millennials. You're, you're trying to raise me this southern way that you learn, and we have technology. We can Google our own answers. <laughs> I never thought about that. Yeah, like, it's, it's so weird, like, because I'm 29 now, and, like, I'd be like, as I'm going through stuff, because I thought like when you turn a certain age, you had all the answers. Mm-hmm. And as I'm going through life, I'm like, damn, my parents were like in their 20s when they had me. I'm like, they were just trying to figure shit out. Like they didn't know, they were kids still. You were the test baby. They tested everything on you. Yeah. So it's like, I get a different like perspective now just thinking about like, oh, they were, what they were going through when raising me. Like I don't take it as personal. But that's what I said. Yeah. Like with this podcast, I was like, imagine if my like my grandfather had Alzheimer's at the end, but all the stories mm. he told me, I was like, oh, this is what he was like when he was thirty. Mm-hmm. Like imagine if he had just an audio equipment. It's like this is how I'm feeling. This is how I'm doing everything else. So when your kids are like, oh, my dad's twenty nine. This is how he was feeling at twenty nine. 
Yeah. I think y'all got y'all got to have that conversation, man. He'll probably he'll probably pour into you because now you can handle it because you're a man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that respect level, that respect level is different too. Yeah, because yeah. you can see you got his DNA, you know. So when you go out there, you represent him. So having that sit down with him, especially as black men, I feel like we sometimes we grew up in fear of our fathers, in fear of failure of them, and realizing some of them just want to just they just we're connecting with a piece of freedom that they never had growing up. Yeah, that's true, man. That you're speaking facts. <laughs> Shoot, they he probably didn't have a chance to like watch Dragon Ball Z and be free and be creative and stuff. You had nah, to raise kids yeah. and be married and you know take all that on in early twenties. Yeah. Shoot, you could poop in an Uber ride and they don't care. They're like, oh wow, look how free he is. <laughs> Different times. Nah, you're right. You're right. I, I definitely need to do it. My therapist told me I should do that. Um, yeah. So we're in high school now. So high school transitioning to high school football. What's that like? Mm -hmm. What's the regimen like for working out? Are you doing the tour days, everything else, getting up in the morning? Tour days. Tour days were like afternoon, then later evening. Mm -hmm. um, it was hot as hell. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was like, and I realized it like when I was going through it. Like I was okay at football. I wasn't great. I was more of a power lifter, right? So like, um, I was like the strongest person on the team. We used to do these competitions, uh, like AAU powerlifting, and I would win those. Like I actually hold like world records for like weightlifting uh, right now for that. So what were you? That was like about? my. Skill. What was the your 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 one rep max or your PRs? Um, bench press. I was at sixteen. I was doing three thirty five, and I weighed like one eighty. What about squat? And we didn't do squat. We did um, deadlift. And I did about five, 500 and something. I got to go look at this thing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I was like really strong. And looking back at it, like my brother, how he went to track and ran track, I probably should have went to powerlifting. That would have been more along what I was actually good at. So as you're going through school, is anyone telling you like, hey, what college are you going to go to? Are they preaching that into your head or... Or do you gravitate towards that? Yeah, they were talking about college, but I was just kind of like, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do, honestly, bro. I was just kind of like, I was like, I kind of just wanted to get a job and get my own apartment. Like, I was just like, I wanted to be free. Um, but, you know, I had a black parent, so he was like, all right, college or on military. Mm. So um, I went into... Um, uh, I went into the right after high school. Literally the next day, I went into the Marine Corps Reserve boot camp, um, Paris oh, wow. Island. The reserves. Yeah. How long did you serve for? Um, for about four years. Dang, dang, that's nice. I feel like the reserve is the best thing. Lock you in. Man, else. It sucks because you get a taste of it. Like it's it's so weird because like you you'll be in boot because you got to do boot camp, you got to do training, you got to go to school, and you do all that for about six months, and you get that consistent check every week. Right. And it's like, oh shit, I think I should have went active. Like this is solid check, <laughs> working at the car, and then you got to go back home, and I'm working at UPS, making a hundred dollars a week, and that's just like, dog, like this is crazy. Health benefits, everything else. Yeah, like it was, it was, yeah. I it, it got to take yeah. I wish I wish I had one active. Let's let's back that up though. Did, so did you go to prom? Did you did you date in high school? What was that like? 
went to prom. Who'd you talk <laughs> um, to? I finally did. I finally dated my 11th grade, end of my 11th grade year. I had a girlfriend. She was a year older than me. Um, when I went to my senior year, she went to um, college. And we were supposed to still date and stuff like that. She went to Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. So crazy. Um, and then, you know, about two, three months in, um, <laughs> I get a text like, oh, like, yo, I think we should just be friends. Man, <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was. Wait, before, after prom or before prom? After prom. Like, cause I went to prom 11th grade year and 12th grade year, but she, I went with her my 11th grade year. And How long did y'all, y'all date for? We ended up dating for like two years, I think. In high school, that's a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, like, and um, yeah, so when I got this, when I became a senior in high school, she was a, a freshman in college. And yeah, that's when she broke up with me while she was away. And man, I was, How man, I went through it. What do you say? I said, what were you on that Usher's confession? Uh, Usher's let it burn? Confession, it bro. Burn. I gained like 50 pounds. I quit football. Oh, really? Like, yeah, dude. Is I was year you did that? Yeah. Like, I was like. What? I know your dad yeah, was. I, yeah, he was pissed. And then, like, um, he was like, all right, look, you can't. After like a week, he was like, yo, you can't be in the bed crying. All nah, no, he didn't say, no, he didn't say that. <laughs> He said, um, we applied for you to get this job at UPS. So um, you got an interview next hey, week. Wait, so back, to, back to back to back <laughs> <laughs> He said your dad walked in the bed and said what? <laughs> you can't be crying like this. <laughs> <laughs> you're a high, senior in high school. Just <laughs> he, um, Was this he, after football he, season or before football season? This was during football season, bro. Like hey, fifty pounds during football season. Yeah, I quit, bro. I quit playing football. I quit my senior year. I was just like, and then after that, I gained the weight. I was eating cakes every day, gaining weight. I like the emotions. I didn't never. I didn't know how to deal with the emotions. Where's she at right now? She's married to the dude she left me for. Like <laughs> the dude she met in school. And they living in the suburbs. And I keep her as a friend on Facebook. So, you know, by the time I get on HBO, I want to be <laughs> Senator was like, this is what you missed. <laughs> you my football career. <laughs> you got to tell that story. That is hilarious. Brian in the bed. Yeah. Dang, what'd your mom say? What'd your mom say? I feel like, what'd your mom, she give me any women advice? I didn't go to my mom, like, bro, I honestly, like, I didn't really not do my most, I just stayed in my room all day, like, I was just, like, sad, dude, like, it was just kind of, like, I was overwhelmed with the emotions, mm-hmm. so I, I did that, and they got me a job at UPS. Was that the first girl you said you loved you too, or what? Yeah, first girl, love you too, um, I think I actually really cared, you know, talked to every day um, and all that good stuff. Saw a future with, saw her family, brought her to my house. Yeah, it was crazy, man. Hmm. <laughs> Your mom didn't say anything. I don't remember. I, I, I really don't remember. But I don't think I ever, I tried to seek advice from her at that point. He said, I can't have you crying in the bed. We done got this UPS application. 
you didn't drop out of school, you just quit football. Yeah. What are the coaches? But I was say? sleepwalking through school. What are the coaches um, say? One of my coaches was like, you're gonna really regret this. And um other coaches are all white. Wait, sir. Do you you regret it? Nah, bro. I'm like at this point, I really don't care. I'm like, yeah. I'm great at comedy. Like I'm like, <laughs> give a oh, you doing comedy in high school? No, I'm talking about now. I'm like, talking I'm about like, no. I'm talking about did you regret it when you were in high school? <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, no. yeah, I did regret because oh, this is the shit that happened, bro. I quit football, right? Mm-hmm. And then the team I play for fucking win state champions. Yeah. Dog. Rain or nothing. Dog. It's as soon as you Vaughn left, we got better. <laughs> Dog. Dog. I see them in the lunchroom. I'm a, I'm an emotional eater, so I just see them walking past and I'm just eating chips and like <laughs> Costco bag size. I don't understand my heart. <laughs> <laughs> They won the state championship the time you Duh. And the one dude on the team was petty that took over my spot. Every time he walked past me, he fucking flexed like, oh, oh. Like, that shit was, that shit was hard, bro. You never been in love? <laughs> that is so funny. Oh, man. Like, they, like, that when I tell you, like, I went through it. Like, that was, like, one of the most embarrassing times of my life. I was so embarrassed. Like, um. So, all right. So, you don't have a prom date. I did have a prom date. Oh, you had a new one? Same yeah, I, had a, I took a friend. Wasn't the same, though, right? Hello, can you hear me? I can hear you now. Yeah, it wasn't the same, though, right? Hello? All right, I can hear you now. Okay, perfect. So, yeah, I had a prime date. It was a friend I took. Um, she had she dropped out of school because she got pregnant. And I had this ass. I was like, are you trying to go to prom with me? And she was like, yeah. All right, bet. Well, you probably made her night then. Yeah, she, she enjoyed it. She had fun. She was like, because she always with the kids. So, she was like, man, this night out. Thank you. So... We're getting over a heartbreak. Heart is broken. 18. You're mm-hmm. at UPS. And so you just like, when do, what do you go? Like, I'm just going to go to the reserve. Um, Camp. That was basic training when you went there. Man, that shit sucked, bro. That shit, you get off the bus and they like yelling at you. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. They like, you got to call your parents and let them know you made it. I'm yelling, Mom, I made it. Bye. And like, because <laughs> they were like, hurry up, get off. They cut your hair. They petty and doing little things. It's like, whoa. It's like, you're like, whoa, I got to do this shit for 90 days. Like, mentally, bro, what I went through was like, it, it just, it builds your confidence. When you go through something like that, it just builds your confidence. Did you feel, did you feel like since you were already disciplined by your pop, it wasn't as hard or you thought it was a new level of discipline? Nah, this was a new level. I was like, my dad was easy compared to this. Yeah. Like, this was like crazy, man. It was hot as hell. I went in the summer, June, in Paris Island. It was just like, ooh. You're a veteran. I didn't even know that. You got to say that. That's how you get more spots. You got to say, give For it real? a vet. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of shows just dedicated to veterans. 
Oh damn. Okay. All right. You just increase my annual income. Yeah. So all you gotta do is use that that veteran. When people know that you served in the military, it's a whole new level of respect for you, especially in the South. Oh, I didn't. Oh yeah. Matter of fact, that is true. I have seen some people do that. Okay. I served this country. Oh. <laughs> uh, my buddy one time he he got booed by military people because he goes like give it up for the troops and everyone stood up and he goes of isis <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Boy. boy they <laughs> booed him but he, he got him back but they're like what, what? <laughs> <laughs> so who are the people that you meet when you're at basic training who are the people that you meet um uh, one of my friends actually went with me that um i played um that we went to high school with. His name was Brandon Rangan. So I was there with him. My boy Hudson, he lives in Cali now. He's he's um active duty. Um I met him. He was my friend, my friend Motley. I think he's in Florida right now. They're like all the black guys. They're still in the military? Yeah, they're still in the military. Oh, wow, so they're dang near almost twenty years in. Yeah. So what? So what? So what? So what's it like? Walk us through that. Walk us through. So you finally get the basic training, and you're just like, oh. all right, you get your so, signing bonus. I didn't get a bonus. Um, leaving basic training was dope. I had lost all that weight, bro. So I was like skinny. Um, I was feeling myself. I was like, man, like I was getting women like, again. <laughs> so what? I said, like, you done turn light skin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I remember I went back to I was getting so many girls, bro. Like it was so crazy. Like it was like I remember I left and I had went home for a little bit, and it was like it was just so easy to pick up women because my confidence was just at this point. Like it just I didn't I had like this I don't care attitude, Back. and like it was like, yeah, it was it, it was just a great feel. Like it was a one of the moments, the best times I felt in my life, right? And like, it's, it's, I, I was chasing that for a while afterwards too. But um, I did that, then, I, you know, I was in um, California for a little bit. So when I went to California for school training. Um, at that point, we could like, on the weekends, go out, experience the culture stuff. So being in a strip club every weekend, meeting women, um, partying, like, bro, I was like, it was, yeah, money, yeah, money, yeah, like, it was like a good time, dude. Like, I remember being a strip club, I remember going broke in a strip club every weekend, like, it was like <laughs> women telling me they love me, and I'm, <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> it'll be 60 bucks, you chopped it like singing T Pain song for real. Like, no, nah, they don't really love me. Yeah. What do you think? Oh, it can was you hear when that you... noise? No, nah, it's, it's good now. Okay. What do you think it was for you to do that? Do you think it's because you just were fresh out of a heart a heartbreak and you wanted to feel that love? Or was it this is the most money you've ever had before? Most money and then I was just being seduced. Like the women out there know how to say well. Yeah, the women working on those clubs, they're professionals, so they know what to say to you and, like, play on certain emotions. And um, so it's just, you know, in that. Well, what was that emotion that got to you? What were the things that they were saying to you? Like, you know, they say things like, because I like it when they're like, hey, daddy, like, shit like that. You know, the Spanish girls be like, <laughs> and making you feel like they really into you. Like, you be like, oh, shit, like, they be playing with your ego, stroking your ego a little bit. Like, oh, you look good. Like, 
So hey, stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you? What are you? So who's a, who's around you? Who's a, like the inner circle? Like is your dad checking in on you? Like yo, you saving your money? You doing this? Or your dad's just letting you like grow up on your own a little bit? Man, at that point, I was not answering my parents' call. I was like, because I was at a phase where it was just kind of like, man, it was a, I was just like, man, I'm an adult now. I don't need them. And like, so I was just like, young boy, just trying to get those years. It was like, I was trying to make up for the time I felt like they um, were overprotective. So. So, so throughout this whole time, when do you, when, what's this relationship with like your mother? Um, I didn't really talk to her, bro. Like I didn't talk to neither one of them. I was like, I got closer to my, like my, me and my mom talk every day now, but like at that point I was just feeling myself. Mm. Like I was on top of the world. I had a six pack. I had money coming in. Like I didn't care about nobody, bro. I was getting women like. Your brothers never checked in on you. Like you never checked in on your brothers. Like what's up? What's going on with y'all? No, bro. Like I told them, like, yo, you can't. I'm like, yo, your life will. Because I was like, I know y'all miserable now, but once y'all move out, life is great. Like, <laughs> once y'all move. Out. <laughs> <laughs> he said, he said, y'all leave the house. You can you can live like me. These strippers love me. <laughs> they call me Daddy Vaughn out here. <laughs> Yeah, man, and then it's it's so weird because it's like I'm I'm experiencing that for six months, constant military paycheck, first and fifteen, and then I'm in the reserve, so like that ends. I pass school, then I gotta come back home and figure out what I'm gonna do with my life. And that's like you just go like once a month to get that reserve check. Yeah, and that money not even that. Like that money was like, oh, terrible. Really? Yeah. So nothing. You just like you didn't even think about active duty. You just like you just wanted to do that just to say. Um, I wanted to go active, but at this point, when I joined 2010, they were trying to push more people to go yeah. reserve. Really? Yeah, because they was like the war was kind of like settled down. Like they just wanted more reserves and people they can call when anything pops off. Mm -hmm. So you get back home. What's it like adjusting? Do you find an apartment? Or do you go back Man, to I went back to my parents' house, bro, and I lasted like three months. And um, I couldn't deal with that because they were still trying to treat me like a kid. And I'm like, bro, like. Get in I this was... house. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, dog, like. You know come a on. stripper loves me? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it was like that. And so, like, I, moved, I had to move out. And um, I was working at Walgreens, well, I was working at UPS. And then I couldn't do that because that shit was too much. That was like slave work. And I started working at um, Walgreens. And then what happened was this is, I was in the best shape of my life. Working at Walgreens, start snacking. My workout routine, I start slowly stopped doing that. And then I started gaining weight, bro. And like started like losing my confidence. And like, it was just like, I was in a phase for like a few years where it was just like low confidence, not feeling good about myself and just weird. So walk us through those dark periods like that. You just, is it, is it not working or you're saying like you just lost your confidence because you're at Walgreens. It's hard to stay motivated when them scanners be going off. <laughs> um, it was more about a broke. I wasn't really making that much money. I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life. In your twenties, man, I really felt like also like as a, especially as a, a man, 
you're really trying to figure out who you are identity wise because you're growing like just before of like who your parents taught you you're supposed to be and then truly finding who you are so i'm going through that phase um you know and and women aren't that as i feel like you know one of my priorities i wanted to get women and they weren't as attracted to me as like older guys because like the maturity level looking back at it now and stuff like that so it was just like that. I was extending myself, you know, like it was just. Was, like back it up a little bit. What do you yeah. think it was the love that you lost out on between you and that girl that caused this to happen or you just lack confidence? No, I just lack confidence. I think I lack confidence and um, I was just trying to like figure it out like i didn't realize things that like my parents had told me about like structure and discipline mm -hmm. really are things you need in life like i thought i could just swing things and they're gonna be all right okay so we are we're in we're in our life right now right now we're starting to lose a six-pack a little bit we're at mm -hmm. walgreens what section are you in walgreens where are you at in walgreens i was two departments. I was the cashier and I was in a photo department. I started out there and then I got promoted to supervisor. What's the wildest thing you've seen in that photo department? I mean, I've seen it all, bro. Like, I mean, I've seen cuckoo pictures. Like, I've, I've seen people be throwing down. And the weirdest thing is like when you got a hand on the pictures and you're looking at you like, <laughs> like, like with serious, like, bro, I've seen you right here, bro. You covered up now, but I've seen you. He said, uh, let me get a. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. So, okay. So we're at that. You get promoted. Do you, do you take, do you enjoy the promotion? Do you feel like, oh, all right, cool. Or do you take pride in this work? Or you know, this is not what you want to do. Bro, I was so happy to get this promotion. Like I was like fighting for, I want to get this promotion. It's going to change my life. Oh my God, it's gonna be so great. I was I was like the I'm gonna be Mr. Walgreens forever, right? Like I'm gonna be a store manager one day. Like I found my passion and everything. And um, you know, and then I got the promotion. I had only got like a two dollar raise, bro, and I was like still broke. And I'm like, yo, and then like the dude that was the manager were like kind of like he was older, like and he's kind of taking advantage of me looking back at it now because he knew I was super motivated. He was like, get me to do all his work. So I'd be there super early in the morning. And this this mistake I made, too. Um, I, I told him, he told me, what's my availability? I'm like, bro, I'm just free. Like, I ain't got nothing else to do in my life. Never tell your supervisor that because they think they can just call you at any time and be like, yo, come in because you told me you just always free. You don't got nothing. And, um, yeah, I had no boundaries. He became my friend. Like, we, we quote, unquote, became friends. And then, like, um, but he was using that more to, like, get more work out of me. So I'm just at work six o'clock in the morning and I do another shift later that day. Like, it was just like, man, it became exhausting, dude. I noticed that sometimes the more you ask for work, the more they'll give to you. Yeah. And it's like, be careful what you ask for. He's just taking advantage of you. He was, was a mentor. He's like, oh, well, good. this kid's excited. Yeah, man, it's like kind of like you see in comedy, like they, you know, the younger guy, like, oh, he's gonna pass out flyers, he's gonna bring all his friends, and drive like, damn, like, <laughs> we'll get him to drive five hours for a 10 minute guest spot. I'm like, man, that's a lot, yeah, but, but yeah, pay $25. Like, I lost money, 
Well, when you when you're inside this when you're inside Walgreens and you're working and stuff like that, do you feel like you blew all your money? Do you feel like you just didn't save enough? Bro. Credit card debt or anything else, or was just like military, just California got you? Bro, nah. I was in Walgreens, I was getting credit cards, I was blowing all my money. I was living I was trying to live that California lifestyle. So I'd be in a club every weekend. But the only difference was at this point I'm getting drunk and I'm getting fatter. So it's like, I don't have no workout regimen and nothing like that. And like, you know, go to the club, turn up, go eat Big Macs afterwards, then go to sleep. Like, that was like my life. And I just slowly started gaining the weight, bro. Anybody say, especially in the South, you know, Southern people always got something. Your grandma say, you ain't missing too many meals, is you? My, my pops, man, every time he saw me, he was just like, yo, what's going on? Like, you know, diabetes. Yeah, because he was like, diabetes and high blood pressure is big. And I'm like, bro, mm -hmm. like, the only person I knew that had diabetes was like my grandpa's. So I'm like, dude, I can't get diabetes till I'm 60. So I'm like, why are you coming at me like that? Little did I know that's not true. Um, I got it at the age of 24. And, um. You got diabetes at the age of 24? Yeah, yeah bro. Mm -hmm. it was, are you still diabetic was, or no? It's reversed now. Come on now. Dang, so you spiraled out of depression a lot. Yeah, bro. It was it was one of the things it's like when I'm not doing what I actually wanna do, it's like I go through this these dark phases. Mm. So at the same time, did you know what you wanted to do at Walgreens? You didn't know at Walgreens you wanted to be the manager. Yeah, I want really I look then I wanted to be the manager, but really what I wanted when I look back at it, I just wanted financial stability. And it's like, I would just want to do anything that could give me money. Got it. So when do you quit? When do you quit? When do you realize like, all right, this is not for me? Or when, what's the next journey inside this after Walgreens? So at this point I quit, like, it was like three or four years in. And like, so they had this position, like the next level manager, right? And in order to apply for it on your yearly review, you had to get a 3.7 or higher, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm working hard, grinding. My, my boss for the yearly review gives me a 3.6. I know that. Bro, I wanted to fight this dude. Yeah, he's like, yo, you're working hard, you're grinding, you know what I'm saying? Just, just keep doing what you're doing, and next year, you know, you're going to get back out. I, I can't do this. Sometimes I think in that corporate world, we don't even realize that they just be dangling fruit in front of us. Yeah, yeah, just like just like comedy. You never had a chance, but they were like, oh, keep on, I see something. So when do you say I'm done, you quit? Um, About a couple months after that, I quit. I got oh, a really? job. Where'd you, where'd you go yeah. to next? I went to Capital One um, Call Center. Mm -hmm. Um, that job was like straight out the gate because I think I was making like I was a manager mm -hmm. at Walgreens making like nine dollars an hour, mm -hmm. and then Capital One as a regular just starting out they started me off at like fifteen or sixteen dollars an hour, and uh, for anybody in New York that's like pretty good in Virginia. Sixteen dollars an hour that is pretty good money in the early two thousands or two thousand yeah. yeah. So your call center, what are your hours like? Um, my hours are like, what are they, Monday, they're like Monday through Wednesday, um, 12 noon to 11 p.m. Mm. Do you enjoy it? Do you like it? Is that where you start making jokes and stuff like that? Or 
at first I enjoyed it. Then slowly, bro, like I don't know if you ever worked in a call center, but shit sucks. You're on the phone, people just yelling at you, telling you how much your company sucks. They're rude, they petty, and you're doing this shit for almost like 10 hours a day. However, bro, I'm getting every month like a thousand dollar bonus, like on top of just having good customer service. So it's like the money was good, but I was unhappy. Do you finally get into financial stability with this new money, with this new job? Yeah, I did get a financial stability. I had my own apartment, my own car, mm. and it was so crazy. But it was like, the, it was a point I was like the most unhappy. It, it made me realize that um, money isn't going to bring you happiness. Mm. So um, I, I did that for about four years and I started doing comedy like the last six months. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? I ain't happy doing this. I'm going to just go sleep in my car. And, um, whoa, whoa, go back, back up. Because you just went straight to sleep in your car. When did, when did comedy start? What was that first open mic? Where was that at? Richmond, Virginia. Um, it was a place called, um, I can't even think of the name now. I think it's like Heaven and Hell. And, gracious. <laughs> um, I, I went there. I didn't know anybody. Saw it on the uh, website. Went there, right? And um, I got super drunk that night to, to deal with, like, the um, fear. Because I had a fear of public speaking. Like, I never thought I'd do comedy. Like, mm-hmm. super fear. Um, so... I get on stage, so I'm blackout drunk, telling my jokes, they laugh a little bit. And then I get off stage, this black dude named Keith Marcel was like, man, like, yo, it's going to be all right, man. You're going to get better. And, like, I didn't understand why he was telling me that because, like, I was so drunk that my emotions had hit me. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the next day when I was at home and I sobered up, I realized I bombed. I was like, oh, shit, like. <laughs> why Why did you get drunk before the first stand-up? Because, bro, I didn't Nerves? I was, yeah, nerves. I was scared. Okay. When do you uh do you do you do you drink out of nervousness? I did. I'm sober now, but I did back then. Mm-hmm. Did it, did you ever? Did anyone ever think you had a problem, or no one said nothing to you? Um, at that you point, you by I yourself. Mean, Nobody knows. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> say anything to you except yourself. Oh, um, that was. <laughs> you've been just. Drunk. You, you been, you been drunk, just staring at the mirror, asking like, "What? Did, how did I get this? <laughs> how did I you get here?" Anybody. It's so weird because like we live, we work the, the environment that we work in. Like being an alcoholic is almost the norm. Okay. So no, nobody ever told me it was a problem. Got it. So you were just hit on the bottle, on that, on that cryptnotic, on that hypnotic. Yeah, man. I was on. Yeah, I was drink. drinking. Yeah, it was. It was dark times. It was still trying to figure out what I want to do, man. Like looking at it now, it's like your twenties, man. Like, is that? I feel like it's that time of your career, time of your life that you're just trying to figure out who you are and what you want to do and what your purpose is. That's something unique. I tell us, this, this is a young kid I do a show with. His name is Matthew Arvalo. He started stand-up when he was 15. And I'd be hard on him. I was like, look, yeah, think about it. A lot of people come to stand-up in their 30s and 40s, and you know what you want to do the rest of your life right now at 20. Yeah. Don't spend this time wasting it doing some dumb stuff. Mm-hmm. 
But then again, I got to realize they're 20, so they got to do dumb stuff. That's how they figure out who they are, you know? Yeah, it's part of growing. It's just like, just don't do too dumb. Like, just... <laughs> you don't know how much time you waste until you think back in, until you see another version, like a variant of you, and just like, oh, man, if I was 19, 20, dang, I would have been in New York City. I would have woo, 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 would have finessed like that way. So you do... I was fortunate. Huh? Go ahead. I was fortunate, because, like, even when I was going through all that stuff, like, when I, once I started stand-up, I literally quit my job. Like, I went full force. Like, I was, like... I went to like the point I was 24 and I was like, I start, I put everything, all my eggs in one basket. I was like, get the job. I'm not dating. I'm just going to stand up. And I just started getting gigs every weekend, working clubs and like, so it's like, I, I was fortunate to like, some that work ethic. My dad told me about football. Mm -hmm. It was like, okay. Cause the comic gave me some advice. And that, once he told me that it changed my perspective. He was like, think of a set. Every time you do a set, it's like laying down a brick. Right. And every time you lay down a brick, um, eventually you keep laying down on bricks, you're going to build a house. Mm. So when he told me that, I was like, okay, I just going to get better by doing sets. I was just like, all right, I'm just going to stay on stage two, three times a night, be as broke as I can be and just grind. And then um, it got to a point. It's like, Oh, I'm starting to make a living off of doing this just by yeah. doing stand up. So it's like, I, I put all my agent back and just kind of focus early on, um, which is hard. Cause I know like, you took your dad's football mentality and applied it to stand-up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. like, maybe, maybe he sees that that's your that's your football stand-up. Yeah, that's what he was telling me because he was like, man, he was like, the thing about you is comedy. He was like, you're really you're consistent. Like he was like, you're always doing it, always working. You're always doing that, and you're just like, okay. Because his biggest thing was like, whatever you're gonna do, just make sure you go hard at it. What um? So why do you decide to start sleeping in your car? What what? You don't like beds or what's going on? <laughs> I didn't want to have a job. I didn't want a full time job. So like, every time I work a job, they give you a schedule. You gotta buy by the schedule. And I wanted the capability of just like I wanted to work every weekend, and I didn't want to ask permission to have off every weekend. And when it comes to comedy, man, like especially like what I'm trying to do is like you need a certain amount of time for writing. Um. You know, because I'm trying to drop an album like every two years. So it's like, I need, you need them for uh, almost four to eight hours of just sitting down writing, going through free thoughts and stuff like that. So it's like having a job, like that eight hours you spend at that job, that's energy that you're putting in. I was like, okay, if I could put that time of energy until stand up, you know, like I'll become better at this, this thing and eventually make good money off of it. Do you, who are the comedians that really looked out for you? Who was like the classic comics you came up with? And who are the comics that like took you under your wing and like gave you advice that you really appreciated? Bro, I I was fortunate enough like two years in, I went on tour. I had some road comics I went on the road with. I had like Patrick Garrity out of from Florida, mm -hmm. um, gave me some gigs, got me into like the comedy zone and stuff. And had him, Sloan out of Florida, you might know him. In Tampa, yeah. Um, Rob Ward, like it was guys like that, but like I was fortunate. I got on tour with like I was like two, two or three years in. I got on tour with Jamie Kennedy, mm -hmm. and like um, I was like the brokest of my time touring with him. I didn't really make no money. However, when you touring with somebody like him for a few years, you start to learn so much about everything. Just being around that president, you learn how to move, how to business wise, and like now it's like I'm. 
I got my business, my structure and everything set up just by being around him. It was like an internship almost. Did he, did he, did he, this is what I'm trying to say. Did he ever take the time to be like, Vaughn, you should do a joke like this, or you should do a joke like this, or he really took that big brother role towards you? Not, well, only thing he told me was like, be a little bit more physical on stage, like, mm-hmm. you know, perform the joke, you know, don't just stand there and say it, as to perform it. Other than that, he's also told me kind of more about like taking a little bit more chances. Like, y'all mm-hmm. like, if you all told me, why aren't you headlining 50-seater rooms and stuff like that? You know, like, you should be out here getting money. What is your other hustle? Like, what's your other thing you're working on? You got a podcast. Are you, you know, are you working on the sketches? Like, you need to be not just stand-up, because, like, as we realize, as we, I'm starting to see it now, like, stand-up will get you so far, you kind of need something else to kind of, like, depend on what you're trying to do. So if you want to, like, a certain level of notoriety or fame or your own following you kind of need something else stand up is like the door that opens everything up yeah so you're in virginia grinding jamie kennedy how how many years does it take for jamie to put you on the road no i mean i opened up for him in dc then like two months later i was on the road with him um we got to get got a gig with him in chicago so yo you killed it and just started giving more dates and um i just was working with him so you're in, you're hitting the funny bones, you're doing that, you're beating the road up, Patrick Garrity signed his car and stuff like that. Yeah. I remember, I remember when that car broke down, everybody's like, dang, Pat. Yeah, Pat. <laughs> yeah, he's mm-hmm. bad for struggles. His joke about a ghost, a ghost hunters and stuff like that. He was one of those Orlando boys that used to come to Tampa and he would just stay all night and talk about stand up with us and everything else. He's one of those old road dogs. Sign the truck, man. Sign the truck. Yeah, like, I was glad I got to work with him because, like, I feel like you had to kind of, for me, it was like, it was glad to see that experience. And it's like, do I want to be a road dog like that? Like, you start to see diff- different avenues. Like, diff- learning different parts of the game, it starts to, like, teach you about, you know, where you want to go. Right. Do you, um, so what, so what prompted the move to New York? Um, I was just kind of like, oh, got to go to New York. That's where you got to go to make it. And like, I was on this perception of like, I had to be in New York, I had to be in New York. And then, um, which we're slowly starting to realize is not necessarily true. You can make it without being in New York, but it's like, I felt like I had to be in New York. New York is a different animal, man. I tell people all the time, it's just like, when you're from the South, we're so used to beating up that road. So when you come to Mm -hmm. New York, Everything that you've done doesn't matter anymore. And you got to yeah, work your yeah. way back up. You got all the comics you met on the road and stuff like that. You realize that they got no weight here. You realize that they don't know anything. And it's just like there's just big fish, big fish out here. I was like, man, it's so easy to be in perspective when Chris Rock walks by. I'm like, all right, yeah, oh, let me sit down. Because yeah, when you're on the it's, road, it's, you can yeah. be the man. And you can be the man in Dubuque, Iowa for one night. You're the best, you're the funniest man in the town. Yeah. Like in New York, it's like constant, complete. It's like freaking like, you ever did the, seen the Tournament of Powers? Like Universe 6 versus Universe 7 in Dragon Ball Super? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Because some people stop. 
I've, I've watched it like over like a little bit over the years, but I know what you're talking about. It's just, it's a war, it's a war zone. So it's just like, and that's when I got there. I was like, we got to unite all the Southern comics. Cause when I got here, it was nothing but Chicago guys. All the Chicago guys ran everything. They ran all the important shows. And I was like, all right, these boys from North Carolina need to come up. These boys from Florida got to come. We got to at least try to hold one stand, at least, at least pass work to each other while we can. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's a different scene, but it's like people seeing people like um, Ali Sadiq and like Dusty Slay is kind of showing me like you can kind of like there's you can you can like have a hub and like still visit New York, like you don't necessarily have to be there. And um, cause like as I start to understand it more, it's like all right, you want an agent, agent get you spots, you want to get TV spots. Like the way I look at New York now is like. I, I felt like I had to be there, but now it's like, all right, what do I want out of New York? Literally, I just want an agent, and I want some of them TV connections in which the agent can get you. And, like, we live in a time now, like, we have the internet, and it's just like, like, for example, that girl who made it famous off a of TikTok video. Like, I feel like seeing stuff like that made me realize, right like, in New oh, York. Yeah, she was in New York for, like, 12 years before that happened. Sarah yeah, but, like, they, they said that, like, she wasn't even, like, a quote-unquote seller comic well i mean i mean it's like this like sometimes like it's like you remember you ever watch the avengers yeah when they said as god is in the place it's a people uh-huh you know, meaning that like yeah even if you get in the cellar what does that mean there's some people in the cellar that can't afford their rent <laughs> you know, yeah I, I so it's like... like when the pandemic had a lot of those dudes are struggling you know like, you know, the goal isn't to just to stop there, you know? Right. And that's, for me, I realized, because it was just kind of like, okay, if she could do that, she never got the seller. So it's, for me, it made me realize, man, like, forget a hierarchy. You can make it what you want to get and figure out the path to that. So it's like, all right, I want to be on this certain team. Like, man, I could be I could be anywhere. And they were like, oh, and if I know that Wilder now is happening, auditions <laughs> like that's all the information that i need so it's like it's it's it kind of built built like gave me more confidence like oh like if you're good you're good and you just got to trust the universe and let things align to you jeff Wright, you know who jeff Wright is uh-uh he's big on tiktok he's from orlando florida uh mm-hmm. got picked up now he's on seth meyer's tv show see like i'm sick bro it's like I, th- I think that as you know, I think shoot, God's God's plan is everything. He goes, I prepared a path for you that you'd probably not understand. Your steps are ordered. You know, I think New York is a different grind for different people, you know? But like yeah. starting over is hard. I don't care what anybody says. Releasing everything you are and not knowing people and working your way up into a scene is completely hard. But for me, like in Tampa, I was just like, I knew that I can't wait to be the guy I'll waste time out of me, you know? Like, I knew that the hierarchy was just like, this person's going to get the opportunity. This person, I saw the ceiling, and I was like, I'd rather go to a place where I can create my own destiny. But to my oh, comments, that in Texas, huh? Say that again? You didn't feel like you could do that in Tampa? You can. You can do it in Tampa, but it's just like the the greatest comics in Tampa, what they do for a living is they open up for whoever comes in Tampa. The greatest comic in Texas is going to open up for somebody else, you know? So it's just like, I'm not saying that's a bad thing to open up, but I'm just saying that for for us, Tampa has funny comedians. They're all strong. They all got houses. They got everything else. 
But I was like, I wanted to get up. I, I watched this documentary. It's like, you can get up five nights a week. You can get up six nights a week. And it did change me as a comedian. It did change me because that that chill mode, I never had, I couldn't have that chill mode anymore. Because it's easy when you got a nice house in Florida. It's easy we can go to the beach. It's easy when comics are playing kickball and stuff like that. Like, we're still working hard and still grinding. We still beat the road. We, like, in Florida, if a Florida comedian just beating the road can make $80,000. I kid you not. So you don't really have a scene in, in Tampa like that? Like, oh, it's it wasn't... a scene. No, it's it's a doggy dog. It's a big, it's a, it's a scene. Like, you got Orlando Preacher Lawson's right there by Orlando, J.B. Ball. All these big comics come out of Tampa. But it's just like, for me personally, I wanted to go to New York. For me, it was just like everything I read about, everything I heard about, I was like, I want to play with the big fish. Gotcha. Now, my boy just did America's Got Talent. He's based out in Tampa, Cam Bertrand. My boy JB Ball, he freaking writes for Kevin Hart's TV show and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like anything can happen. But did you go ahead, my bad. Did you know that guy? Cause Sloan was just telling me there's some guy that lives in Florida that just got passed at the cellar. Yes, that's a King like Woods. He's from Orlando. Okay. Does he, where does he live? King, but a king lives in L.A. So what happened was a king was in L.A. He's Los Angeles. He's preacher Lawson. That's his whole crew. They all came up together. Okay. He came. He's. I think he's bi coastal now. He's in L.A. He's done like a couple LOL network. He got a lot of credits, and he got passed at the cellar. Okay. But for me, it's just like you get past, you get past. Okay, then you move on. You know. Just grind. You got to grind. It fits fifty people. It depends which room you're going to, but yeah, once you get past, there's some people in the past that still ain't famous, still don't got half hours, still don't got specials. It's just like another notch to your belt, but the grind doesn't stop, you know? Yes, that's what I learned, man. When I realized that, it's like you got to be okay to change and you got to be able to adapt and you can't just be stuck in one way because like, you know, like... I, that's another thing I learned from being people. It's just like, you can see how, like you talk about them paths and roads. You're just like, if you stay to like, oh, this is how it's going to be 20 years from now, you could be outdated. And be trying to figure out how they got this thing. I think the hardest thing in New York is staying focused because you get to, it's like being a horse without blinders. You get to see everybody running. So you'll stop and you look at somebody running and somebody will pass you by. Or you're focused on what someone else got and realize, like, look, man, what's for you is for you if you just stay in your lane and keep working hard. Like, for me personally, when the pandemic hit, I hit up every comic. I hit Grant. I hit Stefan. Everybody else. I said, the scene's about to change. Everybody's leaving. This is the perfect time to step up. Mm -hmm. Everybody left. When I say everybody left, either people were left or didn't go inside for health reasons, whatever they did, no disrespect to them. But I was like, I'm going to make sure I'm out every single night, every single show. There's only 15 shows, and my name's going to get circled around to the point where you're going to see it every single time. And I was like, you know what? Shoot, maybe I'll, I'll do a park show. It's easy. Only thing I need is a speaker. Boom, speaker. So now we got two of the shows happening. So then as the scene expands... Your name's already lapped around and stuff like that. And the first time in a long time, the New York comedy scene froze. It completely froze. You hear what before you, you you've seen it before. There's like there's a Queen scene, there's a Brooklyn scene, there's a Manhattan scene. Everything it's a giant scene, right? It's like it's like sixteen scenes amongst each other. There's road comics, everything else. But for the first time in a long time, it froze and it was one scene. It was one. Every big comic did a show with everybody because everybody wanted spots. 
So Chris Red from SNL was doing shows with me in a park. Uh, Derek Gaines, everybody else, any big comic you can think of that wanted to do stage time was at a park. Then, it was like people, you can't be intimidated because I'm like, well, who's this dude killing right now? What's his name? Oh, that's one. My dog Julio Diaz, everybody else was just hitting us. like, look, man, we're not that far away from you. It's just that you can't, no one has a chance to see the comics that are rising up. But literally, the scene was so small, it turned into a swamp. It turned into a swamp where literally, if somebody was funny, everyone was going to find out because there's only 40 comics in the scene doing stuff. What's up, man? It it reminded me exactly of the NBA bubble. That's exactly what it was. It was a bubble. And if you were there, you remember the comics rising because you literally saw their names going up. You see, like, this girl, Claire Alexander, Brittany Cardwell, they became players in the scene. And I was telling my dude, little Matthew, I was like, instead of you wanting to get on spots, be a player, start your own show. He's like, yeah, you're right. Little Jared Schwartz, Mama's Boy, he started running four and five shows. And I was like, this is the time right now for everybody to become a player. So it was like having that sense of, it's like, all right, how do I, all right, boom. Scene is frozen. I'm a, we're already funny. We just need to get our names, or we just need to get around the next class. And the next class finally couldn't do anything. Cellar was closed. Everything was closed, and there's nothing but outdoors and rooftops. I said, well, welcome to the swamp, gentlemen. This is all we do anyways. And then boom, you know? And I think it was just being in New York so long, realizing like, okay, everything's frozen. How can I find a way to better myself and start locking out all these spots? Because, hey, some people might not show up. Boom, get the spot, everything else. And I was like, man. And everybody was writing on a TV show, so spots were just dropping. You just collecting spots. But when I say the scene completely changed, it was like a it was like a ghost town for a little bit. Then when people started coming back, started coming back, started coming back, and now it's starting to get back the way it was, but everybody remembers the people who were holding the pandemic down. So that you feel like that has benefited you? I think it's benefited me completely, yeah. Shoot, I opened up for Michael Che a couple weeks ago. It only would have happened because it's because I was around. Everybody's, my name started getting floating around because we were in that bubble. And if they're like, who are the ones in the bubble? It's like, oh, this one, this one, this one. But for me, it's not, for me, it's it was cool, okay, but life keeps going on, you know? Mm-hmm. So sometimes I feel like for all my dudes that beat the road, all the comics that beat the road, like, your path is your path. You know, we're completely different people. So, you know, maybe New York or California or Atlanta, wherever people are from, it didn't work out for them. But whatever you're doing, you know, if you're religious, God's in front of you. God walks, God goes before (laughs) everything and sets the table, you know. You just got to be prepared to eat it. So it's, I'm not going to lie, like New York is a hard scene, but L.A. is a hard scene. My boys in L.A., they're a hard scene, you know. But when your number gets called, will you be ready? So my boy's number got called, boom. He destroyed America's Got Talent, boom. And I was like, all right. His number got called, but he did it out from Tampa. He don't live in L.A., he don't live in New York. He did it from Tampa, boom. But for me personally, I was like, I got to, for me, I, I think that it's like this. When you have a comfortability, it's harder to grind. Like some dudes in New York who have a house and they're from New York, it's easy for them to chill with their family on Tuesdays. For me, I don't got nothing. It's just me and my wife. 
we know this is what we came to do. We came to do stand-up. We came to do this. But if I'm in Tampa, shoot, I go to church with my mom. Uh, my mom, my mom called me to, she needs something, I'll be there. It's like, we're going to Atlanta today. All right, well, let's go. Family trip, everything else. But sometimes it's like in the Bible, like when you leave and go to a different destination, when you pack up your bags and go somewhere else, it's like, oh, this is the assignment. So what path are you going down? She's podcasting you about you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just was like, we got lost. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Dude, I, 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 we got. We, <laughs> what about so you leave New York and what happens? Why do you leave New York? Um, so I left New York. Yeah, go ahead. So I left New York because I realized that um, I wanted to be, get a little bit more financially stable um, before I got to New York, and I realized there's some things that I could do to make money. I, I started getting more information, man. Like it's it so about money. Um, but also, like, as I started getting more information of things that I wanted to do, I didn't necessarily have to be there all the time. Thanks. So it was like, and I saw some people from D.C. who, like, and I see it also in Chicago. They kind of get really good in, like, these second-tier cities. And then, like, once they get to New York, they kind of already, like, kind of get a manager agent and like they advance really quickly and don't really have to go through the scene. They kind of already get past the clubs and stuff like that. So it's like, I saw like there's a different, so what? They got the connects already. Yeah. So it's like in DC, I pretty much work with every big time person out of New York. They come to DC anyway. So it's like, I'm already like working with them and stuff like that. So it's like, I started to realize, okay, for me, it was like, I just want to play the game a little bit different. Like, I didn't want to be doing open mics in New York. It was just like, all right, let me figure out, is there another way to get to what I'm trying to do? You ever play, or oh, you didn't, well, your dad probably knows about college football. I say it's like this. It's like when you're walking on a football team, like when you're coming mm -hmm. to New York, there's red shirt freshmen, the ones that are highly recruited, right? Like, yeah. they go to different scenes and they popped and they know all the people. So when they come in, they can get right back into the depth chart. You got the junior yeah. college players who killed in a, uh, like a scene that might not be New York, but when they get here, they were heavily recruited. And then you got the walk-ons, and you were a walk-on. You remember that walk? Boy, we were, t that creek in the cave at Tuesday at 10 o'clock was rough. Yeah, it was, I mean, my experience with New York actually wasn't bad. It was like, because I think I mean, like the open started off. Uh, I, um... I was there for about four months. I remember I started working at Grizzly. Like I was starting to get like some spots. I, I think I was working, I started LOL. Then I was working at Grizzly Pair. And then there was like some other spots like I was close about to get into. It was just like um, financially for me, it was just like, it was getting to a point like that was becoming important to me. And I didn't really want to get a full-time job mm. living in the city. So it was just kind of like, all right, how can I, because my goal, honestly, is just to make a living doing comedy. So it's like, um, if I can, like, for example, like, if I get into, once I get into colleges, mm -hmm. I can afford New York rent. So it's like, I'm doing fine if I can do that, pay my rent with that, and then, you know, work in clubs during the week. Because um, overall, my goal, what I realize what I want. All I want is work um, New York clubs during the week, make some money. And then we can be on the road. Mm -hmm. Like, so once I realized that, I was just like, all right, let me just change up my plan a little bit. 
Yeah, because when you left, Ibrahim, uh, Gerard, they are just like, yeah, man, he left, man. And those, those are your dogs and stuff like that. That's a good brother, mm-hmm. man. You know, Ibrahim, that's a really good brother. <laughs> now my dog Ibrahim is like, yeah. But I mean, I think that, you know, everybody's path path is different. It's a smarter smarter path, you know? There's no right path to anything, you know? Yeah. You can talk to a comic 30 years in, and they'll tell you, I don't know how to work in the New York scene. I don't know how to do L.A. I don't know how to do this. I wish I would have been in Atlanta. I wish I would have been in that. So Vaughn's doing what Vaughn got to do. Yeah, yeah. It did, was you like, have, uh, did you go to the strip clubs in New York, or you stay clear of that? I stay straight clear of that. I was just doing comedy, honestly, bro. I was um, I was at LOL all day, honestly. That shit was like a job almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, well, this is the part where it's the Hilltop questions. You heard of these before, right? I'm going to ask you these questions. You can answer it any way you want to. It could be short okay. form, long form, anything else. It's how you want to do it. All right, do you believe in God? Yeah. Do you have a favorite person in the Bible? No. Favorite verse? No. When's the last time you had a nightmare? Um, Last night. What was that about? Um, <laughs> My ticket sales for my show coming up. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> <laughs> tickets don't sell what's gonna happen what's your biggest fear in life failure the mm. fear of failure when's the last time you had a panic attack mm. I think I had one last night honestly um, because um, this freaking comic club I'm doing they um they starting to require people to wear masks mm. to come in. I'm like, man, from what I hear, black people not getting vaccinated. I'm like, black audience wearing masks. I'm like, this might affect my ticket sales. Damn. Uh, do you believe in soulmates? Yeah. When's the last time you had your heart broken? Shoot, like two years ago. I had this, um, <laughs> I was dating this girl. <laughs> She broke up with me. <laughs> and that's where I broke my heart. Because she was used to me just for sex. I was like, when do women become like dudes? Didn't take you that long to recover, did you? Or you were fine? Nah, man. It took me a man. It took me a good three to six months. I was just like, oh. Yeah, because I was dealing with that. I was dealing. It was like, yeah, it was it was that. Because like, she was petty too, man. Because she... <laughs> she do shit like um, tell me like I like money. Call me a broke dude. So like it, I was, yeah, it was like it was so weird, man. It was like I just like, cleaned out this was... car for you. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like dealing with that. Like um, it, it, I think that hurt more because that's when the first time I realized how if you're dealing with somebody, especially they know like your insecurities and stuff like that. How they can use that, you know, once they mad and stuff like that to throw in your face. Did you, um, do you want kids and do you want to get married and stuff like your dad or no? Yeah, but a little bit later after I get a little bit more established. All right, this is the last question. And this is, I'm going to ask the same question 
over and over again, the goal is to go beyond who Vaughn is, you know? Yeah. I'm going to say, who are you? Now, if someone asks me, who are you? I'm going to say, Jared Waters, who are you? Stand-up comedian, who are you? Two-time wrestling champ. The goal is to go beyond what your name is. Uh-huh. You ready? Yeah. All right, who are you? Me, I'm dope. <laughs> I'm Paul Michael. Who are um, you? I got... <laughs> I'm a TV host. Who are you? On, on, um, I I am um, black. <laughs> I'm excellent. I am. I am. I'm a um, six-time Oscar winner. Who are you? Um, I am. I am. I'm the man. Who are you? Um, greatness. <laughs> I am. Um, I am. I'm on Netflix. <laughs> I am um I am funny. Who are you? Um I am um fast. Who are you? I, I'm Vaughn Michael. And this is the last question. In like forty years from now, right, if your grandkids had a book about Vaughn Michael, right? Mm-hmm. And at the end of their chapter they say he was what? What would you want them to say about you? Um, he was vulnerable. Hmm. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Von Michael. Drop your Instagrams. How can the people follow you and find you? Um, Von Michael spelled V-O-N-M-Y-C-H-A-E-L. I saw everything. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pornhub, um, anything <laughs> you want to see me on, I'm on there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is Hey, you're live on the podcast, One Man, One Tree in the Hill. Say what up to the people. This is when I see black excellence, man. It's Dave Chappelle, Michael Che, Lauren Michaels, Chris Rock, Eddie Murphy, all sitting at the table. I said, yo, Eddie, Mr. Murphy, I, said, I just want to say, man, you're the GOAT, man. And you're the coldest nigga that ever walked the face of the earth. You gotta break that thing over. She wants it private, but y'all not even together right now. So we haven't spoken about anything but the cat for at two least months. two months. And then I said, and I said, uh, uh-uh, and I'm be the next Jamar neighbors. Damn. And she was up like, I know that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the podcast. My name is Jerry Waters. And I'll catch you next time. Like, subscribe, rate the podcast. Have a wonderful night, wonderful day, whatever you're listening to. I'll see you soon.